بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لیڈیز اینڈ جنٹلمین السلام علیکم اینڈ ویلکم ٹو دا سیکنڈ ایپیزوڈ آف پاکستان جیو اسٹریٹجک ریویو اور پی جی آر آئی ایم یور ہوسٹ زکی خالد نال وی شیئرنگ مائی کامنٹری آن سلیکٹ ریجنل اینڈ ایکسٹرا ریجنل ایشوز فرام یونیک پاکستانی پرسپیکٹو ایپیزوڈ ٹو کورز اسپیسیفک ڈیولپمنٹس ڈیورنگ دا ٹائم فریم ففٹینتھ ٹو ٹوینٹیتھ ڈسمبر So kicking off, the first issue I'd like to comment on is the National Defense Authorization Act 2020 for the United States government, which will define budgeting and troop allocation across the world. And the specific aspect of NDAA 2020 I'd like to comment on is an amendment by the U.S. House of Representatives to the understanding of Western Indian Ocean. Now, to provide a bit of context, the National Defense Authorization Act of 2020 was presented by Republican James Inhofe, Chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee. And the U.S. House of Representatives included an amendment in September 2019 under Section 1250I, which designates or mandates the Defense Secretary to describe Indo-US defense cooperation in the Western Indian Ocean region. And it also talks about how relations between the three relevant combatant commands, Central Command, Indo-Pacific Command, and Africa Command will be carried on to give greater impetus to Indian involvement in the Western Indian Ocean under American patronage, obviously. So according to what the amendment states, um, they've defined Western Indian Ocean as, I quote, area in Indian Ocean extending from west coast of India to east coast of Africa, unquote. Um, now, the traditional or conventional understanding of the Western Indian Ocean region according to United Nations, which is obviously the collective representation of uh, the global country's interests. According to the UN, uh, Western Indian Ocean comprises of 10 countries, which are, uh, some of them are island countries and some are continental. These include, these 10 countries include Comoros, France, not the European France, France Reunion, Kenya, Madagascar, Mauritius, Mozambique, Seychelles, Somalia, South Africa, and Tanzania. So basically, most of these countries are somewhat in the eastern southeast of Africa. And uh, while presenting the NDAA, James Inhofe, he said that uh, the objective is to keep the U.S. ahead of strategic competitors, of, namely Russia and China. So we see they were very categorical that whatever their priorities for the coming fiscal year 2020 are to uh, assure adequate deterrence and uh, posturing against Russia and China. Uh, apart from the fact that this, uh, what might appear to be a meager definitional revision or inclusion might appear to be very insignificant, but it has uh, long-term geostrategic consequences, not just for Pakistan, uh, but uh, if we talk in general terms, because uh, this is something which directly impacts uh, countries in the central command area of responsibility the most. So 
so we have pakistan um, afghanistan iran uh, arab gulf countries which are currently part of the us central command and uh, they are going to face uh, most of the impact resulting from this uh, uh, change in definition because india so far has been operating solely within the ambit of uh, america's uh, indo pacific command i'm talking uh, in the american perspective so if uh, america is to patronize growing indian involvement it obviously needs to ensure collaboration uh, and understanding between uh, these three combatant commands india currently carries out exercises with the us navy 7th fleet which falls under the uh, indo pacific command and so uh currently there is no established mechanism or uh, or record of any collaboration with uh, between uh, indian uh, naval forces uh, or military troops and uh, central command uh, troops or africa command uh, broadly speaking at present when we talk about uh, from the american perspective when we talk about the western indian ocean region that is specifically divided between uh, central command up till uh, from uh, the arabian sea in the north up till the horn of africa to the south which comes under central command and then the waters below horn of africa from east africa down till south africa they um, they come under africa command now the problem is that uh, the us uh, africa command does not have a dedicated naval headquarters in the entire african continent and they basically they fall under the larger ambit of naval forces europe based in uh, italy and the only um, significant presence you could uh, meager actually presence of uh, american uh, troops uh, in the eastern side of africa facing the western indian ocean are in uh, djibouti at camp lemonia and uh, according to what uh, i read on rand corporations uh, analysis uh camp lemonia has no more than 4000 uh, troops at any given time and most of them are basically uh, responsible for basic servicing and taking care of the administrative issues in the base and there are a significant number of contractors over there who have been outsourced responsibilities so uh, there isn't much of a uh, an adequate american presence in the horn of africa which could uh, uh establish anything significant for the uh, establishment in new delhi to hinge upon but uh, then obviously we have uh, the africa patrolling station um, aps down south by the us but uh, then again uh, when we talking about the western indian ocean we have to have a maritime centric view of this uh, area uh, unless of course uh, there is a very limited continental aspect as far as land forces in the east african uh, seaboard are concerned so this has uh, uh, if you can understand what i'm trying to get at and if you try to zoom out uh, from focusing on the north arabian sea if you try to zoom out a bit and you get a broader picture of the region you can see that uh, while the entire western seaboard of uh, the indian mainland it is already littered with the uh, i'm using the word litter as a metaphorical expression it is already dotted with the uh, uh, naval surveillance stations and uh, uh, fusion centers we have uh, uh, small island states in the indian ocean in which uh, india is already strategically investing for coastal surveillance and uh, reconnaissance maritime patrol etc so countries such as mauritius maldives sri lanka you name it 
and then of course uh, now uh, since you can see a sort of encirclement going on that um, if they move from down south toward east africa so um india can um, definitely already having a continental expansion subcontinental expansion on the e, e, uh, on the center of the indian ocean it will have uh, western access uh, in east africa now definitely this is something in which india will require multilateral or bilateral partnerships and apart from uh, the us um you know their relationship with us is uh, quite unpredictable because although they are um, agreed upon a larger indo-pacific framework the specifics are uh, being dealt with uh, on uh, different and often competing multilateral bases bases with uh, japan and uh, some other countries but uh, primarily when we talk about east africa then uh, india is um, more prominently aligned with its joint vision with uh, japan to advance the um, asia africa growth corridor aagc Uh, which is uh, an ambitious uh, indo-japanese project um, which some analysts have rightly uh, contended is a counterbalance to china's own uh, belt and road initiative so we see a sort of a, an encirclement going on not just of pakistan because obviously in the larger uh, strategic competition pakistan figures on a, you know very very minutely and the overall objective is obviously to counter Uh, china and uh, defend uh, america's uh, maritime interests in the uh, indian ocean and uh, this is something in which uh, new delhi's interests also converge so uh, we have we are talking about long term implications for the maritime silk route the msr which uh, not only passes through pakistan but also connects to qatar and some um, east african countries so basically uh, this is a very lengthy and technical debate now if uh, instead of agreeing uh, to the western uh, indian uh, ocean as defined by the united nations uh, they have started to talk, the us has started to talk about um and designating the entire north arabian sea south arabian sea and the waters uh, down south um till uh, south africa as part of the western indian ocean then obviously um this is something which should and will um, impact a lot of uh, regional stakeholders and uh, as far as uh, pakistan's interests are concerned because um, i am primarily interested and in committing myself to that we have to develop a mechanism in which we can um, uh, protect our long term interests um there is another context which needs to be mentioned uh recently um, on 13th december the ministry of external affairs in india hosted the 6th indian ocean dialogue under the theme titled indo pacific reimagining the indian ocean through an expanded geography uh i'm adding an emphasis on expanded geography and simultaneously on the 14th december they hosted the 11th delhi dialogue under the theme of advancing partnership in the indo pacific um there were many representatives uh, some senior and some mid ranking personnel from uh, the member states of asean the association of southeast asian nations and also the indian ocean rim association iora which was established 
uh, in Mauritius. And uh, some of the noteworthy countries which participated were Iran and the UAE. Now, obviously, these are themselves uh, competitors, but uh, this is something um, in which uh, they could participate in common to hear what was going on. And uh, during his um, address, uh, India's external affairs minister, Dr. Subramaniam Jayashankar, who was previously the foreign secretary prior to his retirement and appointment by BJP. But just to add that uh, we all know Dr. Jayashankar is a, a doyen of strategic affairs and foreign policy making. He is, he is one of the uh, key architects behind the uh, Act East policy and aligning it with the U.S.'s Indo-Pacific strategy. Uh, his son Dhruva Jayashankar has uh, has been uh, doing extensive policy making work in uh, western think tanks to influence an Indo-US uh, led uh, regional uh, approach in uh, for maritime interests in the Indian Ocean region. So I'm going to quote what Jayashankar said regarding the western Indian Ocean in at the Indian Ocean Dialogue. I quote <coughs> While the nations of the eastern Indian Ocean and states on the connecting seas leading to the Pacific are defining their vision of the Indo-Pacific, uh, there is room for a western Indian Ocean version of this concept too. In line with our own view that the Indo-Pacific naturally includes our western ocean neighbors in the Gulf, the island nations of the Arabian Sea and our partners in Africa. And, unquote. and he also added, I quote, India will look to transfer lessons from the progress we make in an ASEAN-led mechanism to the Western Indian Ocean region, especially IORA, the Indian Ocean Rim Association, unquote. So basically, they are trying to prove as a bond between ASEAN and IORA. So India wants to play its central role, and that is the, the point of exploitation through which um, both uh, the eastern and western Indian Ocean regions can be brought together. And if we talk about practical steps being taken in this regard, earlier this year, uh, um, early in 2019, the Ministry of External Affairs um, uh, subsumed its ASEAN division and uh, Indian Ocean divisions into a, a brand new Indo-Pacific division. Now, we're talking about different regional groupings within the Indian foreign policy establishment. So the new Indo-Pacific division set up earlier this year was given additional responsibilities to include affairs of uh, Indian Ocean Rim Association and also matters of the Quad, which means uh, the quadrilateral alliance between India, the US, Japan and Australia. And uh, all major island nations in the western and southern Indian Oceans were emplaced by Dr. Jayashankar and the Indo-Pacific Division. So uh, they're not just uh, talking or elucidating their concepts, they're actually um, making practical efforts in this respect as well. Uh, I'm going to write a very detailed uh, technical piece discussing the geopolitical, uh, long-term geopolitical implications of this for Pakistan and China also, but specifically Pakistan. Uh, it's uh, going to be a working paper, I believe. I've already submitted a copy to my friends at Center for Strategic and Contemporary Research, CSCR, in Islamabad. And I've been notified that they'll be publishing it soon. Uh, I'd encourage you to read that uh, so that uh, you can get the proper context and uh, picture of the implications involved. 
Now coming to the Indo-US 2 plus 2 ministerial in Washington. This, so this builds upon the 2 plus 2 ministerial with Japan which took place earlier just a month or two ago and in which um, strong ties were affirmed between the Indian and Japanese leadership. Now obviously when we talk about uh, India's bilateral relations with Japan and those with the US, all three of them are members of the Quad and they, um, excluding Australia, have already been maintaining um, security posturing. Australia has been uh, somewhat hesitant because it doesn't want to confront China, um, even as far as signaling is concerned, as of yet. So uh, this is an important development and uh, 2 plus 2 obviously means that uh, two ministers from the Indian side and uh, two from the American side. So the host was the Washington. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo hosted his Indian counterpart, uh, Dr. Subramaniam Jayashankar, and uh, U.S. Defense Secretary uh, Mark Esper hosted his Indian counterpart, Rajnath Singh. Uh, a bit of, uh, uh, I've already told you some interesting snippets about uh, Dr. Jayashankar, but let me tell you something about Rajnath Singh. You see, when uh, Modi 2.0 came into power after the uh, sweeping uh, victory in the elections earlier this year, Rajnath Singh was uh, very uh, symbolically appointed as the defense minister. He, he has a very you know, um, interesting and proven track record of implementing reforms uh, when he was in the home ministry as, heard, uh, as the home minister and uh, he oversaw the complete and finalized re, uh, reorganization of the intelligence bureau to sort out uh, overlapping functions, mandates and uh, technological improvements. And also, um, in his current role, he is uh, directly look at continuing his uh, predecessor's uh, efforts, Dr. Nirmala Sitarama's efforts, uh, which involved a reorganization and restructuring of the Indian Army. Now, uh, very little information is available on open sources about what the Indian Army's reorganization and restructuring will look like. Uh, we do have uh, a broader understanding that uh, India is set to appoint a chief of defense staff early next year and um, irrespective of whoever is appointed. But uh, this is something which uh, shows that uh, in the foreign policy and security perspective, apart from Japan, uh, India is prioritizing its uh, relations with the US. So I'm going to uh, shed light on some of the key statements which were made. Um, and only the ones which I consider to be very important. Um, U.S. Secretary of State Pompeo uh, said very clearly, I quote, that we value India's perspective on security in the Indo-Pacific and frankly all around the world. So, unquote. So not just the Indo-Pacific, all around the world. So I don't know where that's coming from. Is um, I don't uh, see India becoming... A, global superpower even in the next uh, two decades. I don't know how or why uh, they men he mentioned all around the world. I thought that uh, he would confine it to the Indo-Pacific. But anyways, this should be looked through the prism of India growing its clout. And uh, you can just gauge it from the fact that uh, while Pompeo did say that uh, we dis uh, that both Indian and uh, American leadership discussed a maximum pressure campaign against Iran, 
Pompeo specifically uh, in the presser after this uh, ministerial he said that the regime in Tehran is an outlaw so um, but it's uh, very important that um, during this conference the issue of Chabahar came up and uh, when it was his turn to speak Dr. Jayashankar said that uh, he revealed actually that the US government is supporting the Chabahar project and I quote I'm very grateful to Secretary Pompeo for reiterating the US government's support of the Chabahar project which will immensely benefit Afghanistan unquote so you can see that while um, uh, even Pompeo being a former senior officer in the CIA and he's known to be a viciously anti-Iran and in the larger uh, perspective the establishment in Washington is not looking at Chabahar from a bilateral Indo-Iran perspective but the uh, New Delhi leadership has managed to convince Washington that it is essential for long-term peace in Afghanistan through the economic angle so uh, whether or not Iran agrees to it is something which remains to be seen I've not heard any such statements from Iran but uh, we have heard of uh, prior meetings between uh, security leaders of uh, a trilateral meeting between security leaders of Iran Afghanistan in India and Chabahar did feature in those discussions but what came out of it and what are the specifics on which they agree or disagree is yet to be seen but uh, you, this I consider to be this to be an important feat and the fact that um, he was very um, confident when uh, revealing uh, America's support for Chabahar uh, I really wonder how the um, uh, punditry in the US and uh, critics of uh, Iran in, within the US will uh, look at uh, the State Department's uh, soft corner for Chabahar because this appears to be a massive contradiction uh, in the overall objectives to uh, economically choke uh, Iran's regime. Now obviously it will uh, it on the outset it does appear that Chabahar might benefit Afghanistan by providing an alternate route for sea trade because keeping Pakistan's uh, denial in view but uh, uh, th that's again th that's a contradiction does the US want Iran to benefit from its uh, as a transitory state which is just facilitating Indian uh, economic ingress into Afghanistan this is very interesting and I for one fail to understand uh, what their priority, uh, what uh, America's um, priorities are, and um, how exactly they, according to what they've been propagating so far, they've imposed various sanctions. They've threatened to take action against um, Iran. And in my previous podcast, I mentioned the General Mark Milley. He cautioned Iran to be to beware about uh, their actions vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the Arab Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz. So I don't understand how um, the Americans will allow. Um, open commercial uh, marine traffic entering into Chabahar but at the same time uh, pacify their uh, very paranoid and concerned allies in uh, Saudi Arabia, the UAE etc and Bahrain and uh, now we come to um, another aspect of the ministerial which is related to the industrial security annex so what this enables is that uh, the ISA has been formally signed and uh, US Defense Secretary Esper 
acknowledged this that he said that we are proud to conclude the industrial security annex uh, which uh, obviously will enable uh, secret um, information sharing between um, defense industrial establishments in the US and India so we are not just talking about uh, outward uh, transfer of technology agreements we are also talking about um, uh, covert uh, tech, uh, technical information sharing for improved uh, collaboration for development of products in which uh, which are interoperable between the US and Indian forces and um, to be used by various uh, conventional and strategic organizations this is a very significant development this had been pending long ago and uh, at least uh, the security aspect has been um, taken care of and uh, as far as uh, India's defense minister Singh is concerned he said that uh, he was very pleased with the pace of discussions going on and he's mentioned that one of the milestones of this ministerial was to the uh, agreement to set up a link between in, uh, naval headquarters India and uh, US Indo-Pacific Command uh, which is not surprising but he didn't mention that uh, he did mention that uh, a liaison officer by will be posted an Indian naval officer at uh, the headquarters of Naval Central Command US Naval Central Naval Central Command in Bahrain uh, this is unprecedented and this is actually a practical manifestation of uh, the legislative amendments being made for accommodating India's larger interests in the Western Indian Ocean uh, in conformance with America's larger objectives. How and why uh, this will pass through remains to be seen. I am um, somewhat uh, skeptical about uh, Bahrain um, not taking Pakistan's concerns into view because um, up so far, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning of this podcast, uh, in India has never interacted with Central Command and uh, Africa Command, but now they are actually um, getting going to get visibility of uh, Central Command through NAVSENT, and uh, NAVSENT is the regional uh, base from where uh, where Pakistan has its own um, appointed officer and uh, several. Uh, Initiatives are held under the aegis of uh, US Navy and uh, participation of Arab Gulf navies. So we are to expect India to come over there. Um, I personally believe that uh, our uh, senior strategic leadership, our national security leadership, they will have to, uh, I'm assuming, I'm just guessing that uh, they might have uh, conveyed their concerns to their uh, allies in Bahrain and uh, because this is uh, going to have a lot of uh, generate a lot of issues for Pakistan and you know in retrospect if this is taking place then ideally Pakistan should uh, you know try to convince Washington that it needs to have uh, its own uh, liaison officer in the US Indo-Pacific Command but then again that would be irrational for Pakistan itself because we uh, do not uh, our geostrategic calculus does not look beyond the North Arabian Sea we've uh, we uh, this is I base this assertion on the various people I've spoken to the various publications I've read and uh, you will always see that the maximum strategic interest of Pakistan in the, in the maritime domain it is 
somewhere just to the edge of the North Arabian Sea and uh, if they talk about uh, venturing beyond it is only for counter piracy and counter narcotics operations or uh, definitely some port uh, good uh, goodwill visits to various ports uh, but in the functional and operational aspects uh, we have not looked beyond central command so while uh, you, if you can see the larger picture India is getting visibility so far into Indo-Pacific Command and Central Command and naturally you can expect that eventually they'll um, get greater foothold in the Africa Command as well. So this is very interesting. This is this is not just an assertion which I'm making. Uh, this is what uh, Rajnath Singh mentioned in his presser. So if they've mentioned it and announced it, it is a clear signal to Pakistan that um, India is coming to Bahrain in the Central Command and uh, there's actually I don't know what Pakistan can do about it and uh, on a separate note Rajnath Singh revealed that uh, I quote we shared our assessments of the situation in Afghanistan Pakistan Nepal Sri Lanka and the Indian Ocean region in general so this is also interesting that uh, their discussions were not confined to the bilateral or quadrilateral uh, perspectives but they discussed the entire region now the countries which he named again if you can read between the lines, uh, the, these countries, they fall not, ju not just in the western or eastern Indian Oceans, they fall on both sides. So Afghanistan, Pakistan and uh, comes come in the uh, western Indian Ocean. Nepal um, comes to the eastern Indian Ocean. Sri Lanka is um, at the crossroad between the western and eastern Indian Oceans, um, southern Indian Ocean basically. So they, they discuss the entire Indian Ocean region basically. And uh, well, uh, he added further that this is something I didn't uh, hear of before in any report. I quote uh, Rajna Singh, we expressed our interest to expand the scope of MCG, I believe MCG is Maritime Coordination Group, by participation of senior officers from Central Command, Africa Command, I repeat Africa Command and joint staff from the US side. So there you have it, you have the first mention of Africa Command and he said that uh, this is important since our geographical area of interest for our security i.e. the Indian security is covered by Central Command and Africa Command and uh, Rajnath Singh added that uh, the MCG is led by a headquarters integrated defense staff IDS. Um, he said that he has already invited uh, US to appoint a liaison officer in the I Information Fusion Center Indian Ocean Region IFC-IOR which is based in Gurugram um, and uh, just outside New Delhi and um, this obviously will uh, it's uh, this obviously will enable that uh, the Western uh, Indian Seaboard is going to establish a direct link with uh, like-minded people across the Western Indian Ocean in East Africa in a future geostrategic environment. So uh, you've seen Central Command and Africa Command in these statements. Uh, Pacific Command has already been there so the relevancy of three uh, US combatant commands is already taken into the Indian strategic purview. and. Um, before I end this particular aspect of uh, this podcast, uh, Mr. Singh said that uh, 
some of the agreements will be to explore uh, Indo-US cooperation in the fields of defense space, defense cyber and special forces. Now, just to give you a bit of a context, um, there are three new tri-service agencies being set up at, uh, by the Indian security establishment and they are the defense cyber agency, uh, the defense space agency and the special operations division. So the defense cyber agency, uh, it was announced earlier this year, it will be led by uh, Rear Admiral of the Navy. And obviously since these are tri-services organizations, appointments will be between the service officers on rotation. For now, the, DC, uh, the defense cyber agency will be led by a naval officer. The defense uh, space agency will most probably be led by uh, an Air Force officer um, uh, as an inaugural and the special operations division already has a major general rank of the Indian Army so he has already been appointed uh, so um, these three uh, new tri-service organizations they will be led by uh, they will be operating under the integrated defense staff head headquarters IDS and uh, the IDS recently had their own new uh, operations chief uh, and uh, General Taranjit Singh is known to be uh, very well versed in uh, tri-service space synergy etc. So these three new organs and broadly speaking IDS will serve as the secretariat for the upcoming chief of defense staff. So if they have discussed the Indian and US leadership has discussed avenues of cooperation in space, cyber and special forces arenas. This means that uh, the political leadership of India is already laying out the groundwork for uh, so that the soon to be appointed CDS just um, takes charge and uh, by the time he has been appointed then there is some functional work that can be done. Now um, I think uh, this is enough on the Indo-US 2 plus 2 ministerial and the Concerns of Pakistan are very obvious that um, you see to Pakistan's west, um, India, uh, the US is fine with the uh, Chabahar, so that is not a bone of contention for them. And on the east, they just want to suck up to India at any cost. I mean, why would they uh, cozy up and so much to New Delhi despite having vicious sentiments for Iran? That that doesn't sound logical at all, but the it just goes to show the extent to which the US just wants to uh, butter India and uh, give it as many concessions as possible so that it can prop New Delhi as a regional watchdog against Beijing and to some extent Moscow coming to the next aspect India in the five eyes intelligence sharing so um, there was a report recently that uh, U.S. Congressman Adam Schiff, who is the head of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, he submitted a report arguing for the case of India, Japan and South Korea to be included in the Five Eyes Network uh, in the context of uh, the Indo-Pacific strategy particularly. So uh, India, Japan again already members of the Quad, uh, not a big deal. South Korea, now that is interesting. So you can somewhat assume that they need to keep an eye on North Korea. In, the, uh, in a larger perspective also. Uh, to give you a background backgrounder on this, the Five Eyes, why do they call it a Five Eyes? It is an alliance comprising of Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Great Britain and the US. 
it was established in the wake of world war 2 uh, again at present two quad ally is already part of uh, five eyes and almost all the intelli major intelligence organizations of these existing five countries uh, we have some exceptional signals intelligence organizations um, from the us such as the national security agency cia etc and then australia signals Di uh, directorate um, Canada, CSIS, New Zealand, etc., Great Britain, we have MI5, MI6, and also the uh, the extremely powerful uh, government communications headquarters, GCHQ. So these five eyes are already in a long time alliance to uh, sh secretly share intelligence uh, with each other regarding uh, several uh, terrorism threats, etc., and um, cyber security, cyber threat intelligence as well, from what I've read. Um, to give you a timeline of what has been going on this year in 2019, uh, Japanese government sources uh, revealed to a, a news organization earlier this year in February that the Five Eyes uh, joined forces with Japan, Germany and France. Now this is basically Five Eyes plus three. Uh, in, so Five Eyes plus Japan, Germany and France to introduce an information sharing framework on cyber attacks from countries such as China. So this is obviously the lead which tells you that beyond traditional uh, signals and human intelligence sharing, um, the Five Eyes Plus framework is also meant to share cyber threat intelligence. And uh, if you read these reports, it is very clear that uh, one of their main common objectives is to uh, deter against what they perceived is a technological supremacy effort by Huawei to uh, you know try to develop vulnerabilities in uh, critical information infrastructures and telecom infrastructures in the five eyes plus countries so this is what's going on and uh, uh, there are already uh, there is already a lot of cooperation in intelligence between um, India's intelligence organizations the research and analysis wing raw the intelligence bureau IB and their American counterparts such as the FBI, CIA. Uh, but uh, did you ever hear that uh, uh, one of the world's leading signals intelligence organizations, the US National Security Agency, I think few people know that um, if you are a friend of the NSA and if you are a member of the NSA grouping, uh, that is certainly a privilege. And uh, to give you some context, in 2008, in March 2008, uh, then director of the NSA, General Keith Alexander, uh, he is known to be somewhat controversial, he led a delegation of officials along with counterparts from Singapore and New Zealand to New Delhi. So what happened is in 2008, March, uh, um, the Singapore, New Zealand and American intelligence officials, they tried to persuade Indian leadership. This is obviously the Congress era. They try to persuade the Indian leadership to become part of the NSA Pacific Group. Not specific. What I meant to say is NSA Pacific Group. Now this is a subgroup within the NSA's larger global intelligence uh, signals intelligence collection effort. It is a, a regional grouping, and uh, it didn't take long for India to be convinced. Um, just three months after this attempt, so we are talking about June or July 2008, India came on board and as a member of the NSA Pacific Group. And since then, there have been uh, 
intelligence sharing mechanisms through a network for secret intelligence sharing between these members known as crushed ice yes it's a fancy name so the nsa was so adamant and keen on including india because they said that i quote it would help mature indian signals intelligence agencies as well as provide regional counter terrorism expertise unquote well, what we see over here is that in the indo-pacific concept you can see a convergence between the already existing signals intelligence collaboration by india within the nsa pacific group and now um, it will have the privilege to become part of a larger five eyes plus sharing network so in the larger geostrategic context you will have all four i repeat all four this is reading between the lines all four quad members australia and us already there japan invited earlier this year india being invited all four members of the quad having a common intelligence sharing framework in the indo-pacific and this is something which uh, needs to be noted by security observers in uh, pakistan and especially in china this is going to pose significant threats uh, mostly in the eastern indian ocean as also for monitoring um, communications between defense and military officials in countries such as um, uh, the uh, the uh, countries which are part of the bri project in east africa etc so so the quad apart from being a political grouping and apart from having a conventional uh, maritime networking it will now have uh, an informal understanding through the proposed five eyes plus three network involving and japan and india as two additional entries and as i mentioned in another segment previously india and japan already have a lot of strategic convergence there is another bit of news which a uh, very few people know a few years ago i can't remember exactly what year it was it was perhaps 2015 or 16 i forget uh, i read in the uh, france based uh, website intelligence online which is owned by indigo publications they mentioned that a group of intelligence officers from tokyo was on a training program at the raw headquarters in new delhi now this is not just typical jammu jammu reporting this was actually uh, an intelligence brief i can't disclose for the details because only the uh, i am a member of uh, i am a subscribed member of intelligence online but um, it's um, unethical to share what the details what details are mentioned within that so uh, i can just leave it at that what if you can get the picture this is going to be a significant up till now from the meetings between defense and foreign policy ministers and intelligence chief etc so what we have now is a comprehensive comprehensive maritime domain awareness intelligence sharing signals intelligence defense industrial collaboration they're going all out new delhi is going all out and uh, despite statements to the contrary that it is going to be asean central and uh, this and that and india has its own non aligned interests going on clearly things are not as they appear to be and india is very very keenly and discreetly well i consider it to be a word trying to um, become a voluntary uh, watchdog for us interests in the region 
and where does Pakistan stand well frankly um, there is nothing available on open sources so I'm not in a position to comment on that um, as far as intelligence sharing agreements are concerned I have no information on that and now I'll move to the next topic which is uh, the appointment of Lieutenant General Manoj Mukund Narwane as the ch Chief of Army Staff, Indian Army. General Narwane, um, I have skimmed uh, through his profile, which is uh, available on open sources. Um, he follows a scheduled uh, meritorious promotion to the Chief of Army Staff rank. He was until recently the vice chief of army staff so this uh, he is uh, fortunately for him uh, he was uh, not subjected to any political uh, engineering uh, because his predecessor Bipin Rawat he was given an out of turn promotion which uh, superseded some officers and was uh, politically motivated by uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi on the advice of uh, Ajit Doval so Narwane's selection is apolitical for starters it is based on merit and uh, he is an infantry officer um, he was uh, part of 7th Sikh Light Infantry um, he has served in uh, Rashtriya Rifles which is a special uh, counterinsurgency operations force in the occupied Jammu and Kashmir area he was in Assam Rifles and uh, the Eastern Command so um, if you go through his uh, service profile his service record a majority of his uh, postings have been in the uh, east and northeast so he is known to be he is claimed to be uh, a china expert i find that to be a bit exaggerated because just having operational experience does not necessarily mean that he is well familiar with the systems of china but uh, as far as military operations are concerned and staff to staff talks are concerned yes um, he has a sufficient understanding of how to engage with the Chinese and um, this sh should obviously not discredit the fact that uh, um, he has been uh, serve, serving in the occupied Jammu and Kashmir also so uh, General Narwane he has a master's degree in defense studies and an infill degree also in defense and management studies um, many of the people on open sources they say uh, some Indian army veterans they've commented that he is a scholar warrior that he's a very learned person very erudite he loves to read and known to be, uh, have a taste for aesthetics and uh, he um, according to some reports when he was uh, media reports when he was uh, general uh, officer commander-in-chief of the Delhi area he led the 2017 uh, parade and uh, the 2017 Republic Day parade and uh, it was uh, in, uh, interesting to note that uh, as per the so-called tradition going on um, he was supposed to stand behind the Prime Minister during his address but he chose to go back to his seat in a diversion from tradition and uh, many of the media observers they said that this signified he has no interest in personal projection um, how true is that is something which uh, one cannot say 
but uh, one of his uh, interesting uh, service rec uh, profiles includes that uh, he was uh, posted as defense attache to Myanmar uh, early on in his career I think it was somewhere when he was a colonel maybe so when uh, appointment in Myanmar and you couple that with uh, experience in the East and Northeast it's important for the Indian security establishment to uh, improve its relations with Myanmar because uh, a few years ago when uh, Lieutenant General Ranbir Singh the current Northern Army commander he used to be in the military operations directorate he was directly coordinating with uh, when he was in um, uh, MO so he was directly coordinating with Ajit Doval to conduct uh, cross-border surgical strikes against Nagaland separatists uh, based in Myanmar who were uh, purportedly carrying out attacks within uh, India so um, and India has not gone shy in trying to assert its posture in uh, Myanmar and if you hear see news about how uh, the Indian security establishment is trying to cozy up to Myanmar and trying to incentivize them through uh, such as uh, gifting a used submarine recently and uh, trying to train their navy since a few years I've heard consistent reports about uh, Myanmar Navy personnel being trained in India and also the common convergence on the anti-muslim menace so-called regarding uh, Rohingyas because India is only willing to accommodate uh, Hindu Rohingyas so uh, and the political leadership Aung San Suu Kyi and uh, Narendra Modi they are they don't have any conflicting terms uh, Myanmar uh, in the geopolitical perspective is what Afghanistan used to be for Pakistan so Afghanistan was at one point in time um, a, uh, a place for strategic depth for Pakistan and now it's Myanmar and to a very less extent Vietnam but primarily Myanmar which is um, a place for India to exercise its strategic depth against China both in the maritime and um, continental front so um, you have an officer who has a, a prior understanding of uh, interacting with the Myanmar government uh, offices and uh, he has uh, visibility of how to deal with experience of how to deal with China so I personally expect that uh, General Narwane is going to be someone who will uh, uh, mostly be prioritizing on how to uh, curtail uh, what uh, the Indians perceive as uh, growing Chinese aggressions to uh, occupy Indian territory in the north such as Arunachal Pradesh and uh, try to use uh, Myanmar and some other countries and Bangladesh etc to uh, present a vulnerability to India's east but in the uh, to be fair uh, this isn't the uh, the topmost priority for the uh, Indian army chief uh, obviously obviously uh, Pakistan remains the number one concern in the immediate uh, west and uh, now the, the other interesting aspect is I won't go into the details of his service record uh, it's available for all to read on the internet uh, I'm only going to highlight the aspects which I want to elaborate on it was mentioned that uh, all of the three existing service chiefs so 
Rakesh Kumar Bhadoria was appointed Indian Air Force Chief uh, a few months ago in place of uh, B.S. Dhanoa. <coughs> and uh, Karambir Singh took over as the Naval Chief. Now, um, from 31st uh, December onward, Manoj Narwane uh, will be the Army Chief. All three of them are graduates of the 56th National Defense Academy course. Um, as the f f uh, military fraternity says that Ragda Kathe Khayawa in Sabne, this is what I saw a lot of Indian uh, military veterans uh, saying on Twitter ke, that uh, all of them uh, underwent um, strict military training and drills uh, as uh, class fellows in the NDA. Um, this is uh, not just, uh, and they very rightly, uh, some of them very rightly pointed out that this uh, personal past bonding and experience uh, can prove extremely advantageous for uh, improving uh, tri-service synergy. So uh, you have batchmates, uh, you've heard of uh, IAS and IPS batchmates uh, now uh, if you look at the bureaucra bureaucracy in India, most of the key security leaders in the uh, civilian domain are from the 1984 batch, so NSG, etc., uh, RAW, NSG, etc. But uh, now we also have the military leadership uh, in the armed, Indian Armed Forces belonging to the same batch and this is obviously a big compliment for uh, India's uh, political leadership. And uh, all three of them have uh, some time or the other uh, so, uh, experienced training under retired Lieutenant General Satish Dua. I read this in a tweet somewhere. Now Satish Dua was, previous, uh, before his retirement, he was the Chief of Integrated Staff Committee who uh, reports to Chairman Chief of Staff Committee in the IDS. So basically he was uh, somewhat equivalent to what you call the DG Joint Staff in uh, Pakistan's Joint Staff Headquarters. Satish Dua was, uh, despite being an Army officer and a uh, he was a very uh, he was very adamant on promoting tri-service synergy uh, and um, what they call promoting the purple because purple uh, represents the joint services. So um, now that uh, a CDS will be appointed, uh, it is uh, logical to uh, infer that since uh, Manoj Narwane has been appointed chief, then um, his next senior. Uh, General Ranbir Singh, who is currently in the Northern Command, overlooking Kashmir, will be appointed the Vice Chief. So uh, you will have a very power-packed combo. So b b the Vice Chief will be as much of an experienced Pakistan hand, um, Narwane being an experienced China hand. You have two people, the uh, Army Chief having good experience of looking into China affairs, and uh, Ranbir Singh having uh, considerable experience dealing with uh, Pakistan and also Myanmar. So this is not only good for uh, India's National Security Council because Doval uh, looks both ways. He doesn't only focus on Pakistan. He also has an interest in uh, Myanmar as well. Uh, and essentially, most importantly, for uh, harmony with the incoming CDS, whoever it may be, uh, this is a very important development. So uh, for now, uh, you, you won't expect 
the sort of uh, politicking by uh, by nirwane at least that is what uh, most of us believe here in pakistan that you won't expect uh, nirwane to be as uh, recklessly vocal and political as his uh, outgoing uh, predecessor rawat who uh, even still he is uh, issuing extremely provocative statements trying to um, raise the specter of escalation between india and pakistan despite just having just a few days in office left if one fails to understand what he's trying to achieve and uh, why and how the indian political leadership can tolerate such sort of uh, statements uh coming to the next topic pakistan's about face on the kl summit i don't need to go into the details um you already read we have a lot of interests uh which don't necessarily converge with the uh, arab gulf interests but uh, this was a summit in which pakistan was uh, invited but it did not um participate just near the end because uh, um there was reportedly pressure from uh, certain quarters won't go into the details uh the strategic implications are two basically that uh, malaysia is an important pacific ally but uh, since we don't uh, think on that long term front uh, we chose to ignore that despite malaysia being the largest exp- um, uh, export market in asean and having considerable sway on uh, asean's issues and the other factor is that uh, malaysia was one of the only three countries except uh, apart from turkey and china who supported us and bailed us out in the fatf so this is another aspect which needs to be looked into that why our long our uh, geostrategic implications were not taken into view when trying to conduct this about face on the kl summit uh, it was just a forum for dialogue it was not in any form whatsoever supposed to be a political uh, a parallel organization to the OIC or some other organization one fails to understand what was the reason for this so called apprehensions about a division in the umma but anyways that is a, a political aspect which i would not like to comment on and personally i'm not interested in that so uh, i'll continue the conversation uh, regarding uh regional security dialogue in tehran uh national security representatives from iran russia china india afghanistan tajikistan and uzbekistan participated in this dialogue and uh, uh one of the noteworthy statements was that uh deputy in indian nsa rajinder khanna the former raw chief he said that the chabahar port will create an exceptional opportunity for economic development of afghanistan so this is uh, you see uh, he was actually uh, uh, he just affirmed what uh, jay shankar and pompeo agreed to that uh, chabahar will not be prove as a bone of contention between any extra regional actors so uh, th- uh, this is uh, the was the second edition of the regional security dialogue not really as significant as it should be from what i've heard on open sources this is just a symbolic gathering to discuss the future of afghanistan nothing else moving on to the sino russia strategic convergence there was an interesting article on china military online about by a senior pla researcher who said that uh who highlighted 
that the Chinese and Russian armed forces are focused on um, greater strategic convergence in 2020. And he said that China-Russia military cooperation will become an important su support for China to plan relations between major powers and, I quote, shape the surrounding security environment, unquote. Uh, this is uh, really significant. There are some further technical details of this which I, I won't mention. But uh, apparently 2020 is going to be, uh, this uh, very significant article highlights that 2020 is going to be the year of uh, growing China, Sino-Russian assertiveness in the region. Allah Hafiz.